This is Dr. Saba Marouf, and you are listening to Unsung Heroes, uncovering stories of inspiration and action here on Podcast Detroit. of old, the legends and the myths, Achilles and his gold, Achilles and his gifts, Spider-Man's control, and Batman with his fist, and clearly I don't see myself upon that list, but she said, where'd you wanna go, how much you wanna risk, I'm not looking for somebody with some superhuman gifts, some superhero, Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Unsung Heroes, Stories to Inspire, here on Podcast Detroit. Here we showcase inspirational individuals making an impact in unique ways. We've had some amazing guests on our show, um, an amazing range of talent and contribution. We've been talking about stories of strength and resilience, narratives of people following their passion and true calling in life. And I'm equally excited to add another great episode to our lineup. Today we're going to be talking about art and healing with two very special guests and two of my colleagues and friends. Um, You know, this really comes on the heels of a particularly difficult uh, week or past few weeks with the brutal murder of Nabira Nabira Hassanin in um, the Virginia area. I'm sure most of our listeners have um, heard about this. Um, The acquittal of the cop who killed Philandro Castile and the shooting of Charlena Lyles. So healing is definitely a concept that we need to talk about. And truthfully, both of these guests were on my list of people to invite on the show. And it really dawned on me that both of you are involved in this intersection of art and healing. So we thought that having you both here together would be perfect. So welcome to Shazia Siddiqui and Zain Shamoon. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much. I'm so excited. And we're also here with my co-host, Calvin Moore. Hey, everybody. Hey, who's also doubling up here on the soundboard. Helping I us am. Out with that. I feel like I'm on the ones and twos back here. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, we had a little break last week. And, um, you know, this is at the end of Ramadan. And originally I did not schedule anything for today because I felt like it's the last 10 days of Ramadan. And for those of you that don't know, the last 10 days, it's like the final stretch. It's like the last stretch of the race um, and I knew that I would be exhausted and I was kind of tired this morning when I woke up because we've had late nights praying and then getting up to eat um, so thank you guys both um, Shazia and Zane because you're both of course um, you know uh, practicing I mean you're both celebrating well, Ramadan too let's not too. forget about my sacrifice oh, yes. here okay, sorry, <laughs> I Calvin. always get to eat and drink during this podcast <laughs> and I'm trying to be oh, very respectful <laughs> before you all showed up I was like alright they're all starving right now. I'm going to eat this beef jerky real quick. So, um, <laughs> so we, have, we have strength in numbers. You're by yourself. Yeah, I am by myself. There's nobody. Everybody else is like, just just drink a pop in front of them. Who cares? I don't care. I was like, no, no. Oh well, uh, thank you. No, it's, I'm, I'm just messing around. But it's been really cool to to see all of uh, all of my Muslim friends kind of going through this this season together. It's very yeah. very inspiring. Cool. Thank you. So um yeah so I'm really excited to start. I mean to. Introduce both of um, both of you guys. Um, so we'll start. I'm just going to do short introductions because I really want you guys to talk um, to us about the amazing work that you both do, and it really is amazing. I mean, this is a really interesting um, intersection of art and healing. 
Um, so Shazia Siddiqui, I'll start with introducing Shazia. She's a board-certified art therapist, licensed professional counselor, and the founder and executive director of MIST, which is a Muslim interscholastic tournament. And um, this is a tournament where over 6,000 high school students across North America participate, um, and they just participated in 15 MIST regionals, regional competitions um, this just this past spring. And this July, the winners from these tournaments will be convening at Wayne State University for the MIST International Tournament that's being hosted by MIST Detroit. And um, I'm um, most likely going to be there, too, actually. I'm really excited. Um, but MIST provides a safe, supportive environment where high school students express their thoughts, feelings, and ideas and <clears throat> universe, I mean, unify with diverse peers through preparing for and participating in over 30 different competitions, ranging from the arts and athletics to the intellectual and the technical. Um, and MIST is really amazing. Uh, and so um, we'll talk about this, but Shazia really founded MIST in May 2001 as a teenager. And after seeing the positive effect that it really had on other teenagers, she discovered how powerful the creative process truly is as a tool for self-discovery and healing. And this really began her journey to become an art therapist. And she completed her Master's of Arts in Counseling and Art Therapy from Wayne State. And during her studies, during and after her studies in Detroit, she's worked with troubled youth at Wolverine Human Services and the Macomb County Juvenile Justice Center and Drug Court. And she continues to focus on youth as well as adults today through her private practice and volunteer work. So thank you for being here, Shazia. Um, and Zane, Zane Shamoon, is um, uh, the co-founder and host of Narratives of Pain. His, which we'll be talking about. His educational background is in human development and family studies, receiving his master's in family therapy back in 2011 from Michigan State University. Uh, he's always been interested in the meeting place between art and healing, and he's always trying to find ways to create spaces where people can tell their personal stories en route to their own growth and wellness. While at Michigan State for um, undergrad and graduate studies, he Zane was a seven-year director of a student um, led and student acted theatrical show called The Tunnel of Oppression. In March 2015, he helped launch Narratives of Pain with Hamad Ali, and currently um, he's telling his own story through music and art, and as well um, as uh, completing his PhD in human development come summer, the summer. And um, he's also a very talented um, therapist, uh, and actually we we work at the uh, we work at a Heron Ridge Associates together, same one of the offices agency. that we work, same agency, and so I always, we have a few, I don't know if I can say this, we have a few mutual patients and clients, but I'm always, people are, um, the people that we work with are always really impressed by you, Zane, and I'm always, I'm always trying to refer people to you, but you're full. <laughs> so, I'm like, yeah, I know this guy, you'd be perfect for you, and I'll text you, and, and you're full. But that's a good thing, that's a good thing. <laughs> um and we'll talk about narratives of pain, but basically it's a safe space for storytellers and community engagement um, that's presented in an interactive show format. And the stories range from songs, spoken word, testimonial speech, and even physical artwork. And um, everyone has an opportunity to share their own feelings in front of an audience and combine and create a form of community empowerment unlike any other. And this has also been done um, at, uh, following the Muslim Mental Health Conference um, the last few years, uh, mm -hmm. it's been. I remember you started the same weekend, and now it's like throughout the year. And it's really through the storytelling and community atmosphere um, that you feel we can create an environment of healing and recovery. So, thank you both so much for being here. I'm really excited for this conversation. Yeah, thanks for having. Me. Thank you. Awesome. Oops. Okay. <laughs> um, so, both of you, you know, as we just described, have helped create spaces for artistic expression. 
Um, but I really want to kind of talk a little bit about both of your journeys, of course. That's kind of what the show is all about. So, uh, Shazia, starting with you, can you tell us a little bit about the journey in creating Mist? Um, and I think you were at the age of, like, was it 17 or 19? 18. Okay, 18. right in the middle there. 18, very young. Um, how the idea grew, I mean, that's really mind-boggling, actually, that you were so young, and this is just such a phenomenon and a success, really. How this idea grew and how it's evolved and, um, you know, kind of what Mist has become today. Okay, thank you, Saba. Um, well, you see, as a shy second-generation American Muslim South Asian girl growing up in Texas, there were a lot of times when I felt like you know, I just didn't belong anywhere. Uh, you know, I felt like I had to be perfect all the time, especially since, you know, as a hijab, a headscarf-wearing Muslim, um, you know, I was part of, you know, the only exposure to Islam and Muslims people in my high school had apart from, you know, a lot of the negativity that people see on the media. And, you know, it was isolating. And I felt like there was never really anyone I could talk to who really understood or could empathize with what I was going through. And so due to this, I was really determined to spend, you know, my junior and my senior year in high school trying to grow my um, my Muslim student group, like, in my high school, like, into, like, a, a bigger space, like, where anyone could learn about Islam and connect with people and where I could share, you know, the most important part of my identity with others. But, you know, unfortunately, no matter what I tried, I just couldn't get people to attend these meetings. And so... <laughs> um, familiar. Yeah, when people... <laughs> oh, like, jeez. When people did attend, they would always remain kind of like they're in their own social cliques. Um, and I was just like, you know, where's everyone at? And, you know, it turned out that the one and only activity that drew the most people to after school clubs in my school was preparing for competitive events, whether it was debate or sports or math or, you know, people would always prioritize their time to these after school club meetings where they were working on something towards something like, you know, winning medals, trophies for their school trophy case, letter jackets, a shout out on the morning announcements at school, which mm -hmm. is like always fun. Um, <laughs> right. Um, I, uh, you know, I started getting more involved in competitions, too. Like I was competing in math and literature, literature and persuasive speaking and, of course, art. And, you know, I noticed that you know, these really helped me gain self-confidence mm -hmm. um, and they helped me feel a sense of belonging by building like a bond with a team of students from my school who would then become like, you know, a really good so daily support for the rest of the year. Um, and these competitions, they gave me a chance to meet and be inspired by new people outside of my school who could relate to some of the same challenges I was going through, even like other headscarf, like hijab wearing Texans like myself. Um, and so, you know, competitions, they really helped me realize my potential and find purpose by discovering new mediums of expression that really resonated with me and learning about subjects I may never have otherwise had the motivation to like research on my own. So it was like after returning back to my Muslim student group, like students, sorry, um, months after graduation, I was a freshman in college at the University of Houston. And, um, you know, I saw that it wasn't just my my school, but like just the the five or you know a few very few number of like high school Muslim student groups in Houston were also kind of falling apart or not very active, kind of for the same reasons that mine um, was. And so I came up with the idea for Miss to kind of create like a safe, non-judgmental space for young people, um, you know, to try something new, to discover their hidden potential. And, you know, to build confidence while learning and sharing what Islam was really about and just have 
a breather, you know, to be themselves, you know, to make mistakes and not have to hold the entire weight of representing all Muslims on their shoulders. And, you know, I wanted to help peers who are struggling through common issues find the supportive, a strong supportive community of Muslims and allies within every public high school to by making them, you know, create diverse teams from the people they see every day of their lives at school. And you see, MIST, it would have something for everyone, and it would therefore dissolve cliques and unite mm. students towards the common goal of winning and bringing home that trophy for their school's trophy case. And, you know, I just really wanted to turn that small number of, like, support Muslim support groups um, in Houston, like, into, like, hundreds possibly uh, by giving them a year-round focus and a reason to keep active every year. And, you know, opening those doors of opportunities that other high school clubs had, such as, you know, getting letter jackets, awards, people actually coming to meetings so that they could prep for the competitions. And, you know, I wanted to bring, you know, adults like college students and local organizations, young professionals together for the purpose of helping the youth as judges or mentors who can just be that person who says that one motivating thing to a competitor that may change their life forever and, you know, push them to do something really meaningful and beautiful for the world around them. And so... So how did this, so how did like Mist grow? That was your question too, right? So um, like what I did, you know, when I had this idea, like I just envisioned a huge stadium with people cheering. And then uh, when I had this picture in my head, I just wrote down every single thing that needed to happen for like the, those pieces of that picture to become a reality. So, you know, I just visioned and sketched out like, okay, well, how would the judges rooms like be set up and like the workshops and how would the high school teams look like and the award ceremony structure and, you know, um, like uh, how would it like accommodate everyone to get a taste of like, you know, all these different categories of competitions and then how would the registration rules like accommodate that structure and, you know, um, so all this like different stuff. And, you know, I wrote down like all the details of, um, uh, you know, I pulled out old hoarded competitions, rules that I had like saved and old programs and, you know, training handbooks and just kind of wrote everything like wrote, wrote, wrote. And then uh, I was just like, OK, I'm being like way, way too ambitious here. It's probably not going to happen. Um, I told an MSA, um, it, the University of Houston's like um, – the Muslim Students Association, like her, um, a girl, like she was the president at that time. She was four years older than me. You know, I told her about the idea and I was like, yeah, I know it's like too ambitious. She was like, what? No, you can never be too ambitious. And you know what? I think you can make it happen. And tell me what you need me to do to help you out. And, and so I was like, oh, my gosh, somebody thinks I can do it. And maybe I can. <laughs> and so um so I started to show different people, big and small, mean people, nice people, right? <laughs> groups that didn't get along with each other at all. Um, and then these different groups and the individuals, you know, they took on like various different tasks and just all came together kind of like a puzzle, um, which was a very chaotic puzzle. But it came together <laughs> at um, the first MIST at the University of Houston. And then after the first year, there was an MSA national officer who helped like spread the word in D.C. Um, and then from then on, you know, we just kind of kept spreading by word of mouth. And I, I actually wrote this regional guide, um, which was like this 70 page document uh, to on everything that needed to happen in order to organize a Miss Regional Tournament. And um and, and this helped a lot with like just kind of training like new leaders that were coming on board and in mm -hmm. these new these leaders like in these different regions like they then produce like more leaders who um, and now a lot of these people are still on board as like national directors as well 
So, um, and honestly, like, you know, what makes Mist, you know, happening, it's basically like our volunteers, like our organizers, there's over 1,500 volunteers that are part of Mist, and they all have such, like, an important role to create this, like, this puzzle that is, like, Mist right now, and we cannot, this cannot happen with all of these people in all of our different regions across the country. Wow. As someone that's, um, I know that we've had a lot of conversations um, when you first moved here and when it was starting in Detroit, and then as someone that's judged in competitions in the past and walked through the hallways, it's um, especially the one that was held at Wayne State. I mean, many that have been held at Wayne State is really amazing to see. I wish I could, you know, maybe we can actually share pic- share pictures of it on our page. But I mean, the camaraderie, the enthusiasm and passion, and like every team, every school kind of has their chance. Mm-hmm. And it's like a huge, it's like a pep rally on steroids. It's it's huge. It, there's so much, oh my gosh, it's it's really amazing. And so to think that it came from an idea that you had and, you know, and wow, just that you stuck with it and you believed in yourself, but also that you had a little nudge from someone like a mentor that was a little bit older. That's really important. Yeah, and I would have been at all lot. those meetings because I just tell you, winning is everything. To me. <laughs> yeah. I'm super, super competition. You know, As a matter of yeah. fact, after we're after we're done with this, I own a tour company, and I'm going downtown to do a scavenger hunt for a for a private group. And it's always funny to see uh, the group that's doing something, and they're just kind of like, oh, okay, my boss has said I have to do this. And then there's those people that are like super competitive because it's a scavenger hunt. So at the yeah. beginning, you can tell the competitive people because they'll they'll look at all the questions and be like, okay, these five things are over here, these four things are over here. <laughs> yeah. So let's just they got the whole strategy. Down the other people were like, you know what? I'm going to stop off. I'm going to get a beer for a couple hours, and then I'll come in with two uh, two answers, uh, two questions answered. But uh, yeah, all about competition. Same thing. Debate club when I was in high school loved all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. So this kind of stuff would have been very helpful. Uh, but Zane, uh, question for you because uh, another thing, another background uh, that I that I had when I was in high school and college is theater, and uh, you had a lot of theater in your background. Can you tell us a little bit about, uh, about your background in theater and how this led to the idea of of narratives of pain? Yeah, um, I have a very unorthodox um, path to theater uh, that happened in my life. Um, well, it's probably it's probably a common path, but it's a sort of an unspoken path. I was just really depressed. I was mm-hmm. a really depressed um, 15-year-old in high school. And um, I was in high school right after 9-11, and so, like, you either had to be tokenized or <laughs> keep away, you know, from people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think that's novel to the Muslim community. Obviously, I think that's just, you know, colorism and stuff. So um, so I, I, like, was silencing my story a lot um, as a – and it's hard for me to not start there, so I apologize. But that's – No, that's, 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 that's perfectly that's fine. Where I, um, yeah. That's where I um, – so I was like, okay, like, I might – die or have panic attacks every day if I don't write something down. And so um, I started writing a lot of poetry uh, between 12 and 15, but then when I was 14, 15, it started to have that meaning uh, for me. Um, It was cathartic. And uh, the next level was, do I share this with people? And in high school, when I started to share my poetry, it was um, cathartic to a degree, but then people would be like, yo, that's sweet. That's a great rhyme. And it was sort of undermining a little bit because I was storytelling. Right. And I wanted them to hear my story, not just hear about their entertainment, which is right. great. Mm-hmm. I was happy to – I mean, sounds great. You get praise when you're 16. It's, fan- it's awesome. But it's um, – there was something missing. Um, so um, when I was 16 uh, and when I was 17 – uh, I started to get involved with slam poetry. I started to get uh, a strong connection with my um, uh, drama theater at, Mich- at, uh, at Novi High School. Um, her name is Mrs. McKegg. And um, 
And, and Nova is an interesting town because uh, it's a really wealthy uh, place. And uh, a lot of stories get lost. I'll put it mm. that way because mm-hmm. um, you know the finances are for New Jersey's, the finances are for additions to the school, the finances are for uh, really the white kids. To be honest with you, the popular in Nova, yeah, yeah, the white no. kids, yeah, <laughs> frequent Twelve Oaks on the regular. So, uh, but you know, and I'm not trying to hate. It's just that the contours were were clear, and you had to fish and find your way. Mm-hmm. So I found that, um, and Malcolm X talks about this a lot. That if you can't find your place, you become a mascot. And that's the only way you're seen. And um, mm-hmm. I felt like my story was being hijacked into that. So I was like, okay, I need to find spaces for myself. So um, when I was in college, I met a man named uh, Will Langford. Uh, he is a storyteller, poet, Will the Poet Langford. He's in Detroit. And um, he's done a lot of great work in Detroit and for the students of Detroit as well. But at the time, we were both these um, you know, college students at Michigan State uh, looking for um, spaces to you know, tell stories and share poetry. So we started workshopping, and then uh, we, we had two other friends, Megan Snavely and James Choi, um, and we started the MSU Slam Poetry Team. That same season at Michigan State, there was this group called Young Americans for Freedom. They're always called something for freedom. Uh, basically, <laughs> a, um, a white supremacist group at Michigan oh. State that were like selling, um, lit- they were like um, moving literature and, and uh, you know spreading things about. There was this uh, there was this documentary on Fox News called Obsession, which was like we're not against all Muslims, but watch out for your neighbor who might be Muslim. And be like, you know, I was like, Are you sure you weren't just watching 24? Seen- <laughs> Same network. Yeah, I know, Same right? Network. Um, but that, was but yeah. the, that was the villain every season. They were spreading this stuff, man, and getting in people's faces and stuff. And it was, it was so strange. And it wasn't because of that, but um, in like 2006, 2007, there was this want, I think, on campuses all over the US to like, bring these different groups together. A lot of what Shazia was talking about, right? But on, on, a, on a global level as well, um, uh, and, and at a, at a universe, across university level, within university level. And so um, one of my friends, her name is Nada Zodi, she, par- she started this thing called the Peace Over Prejudice Campaign. And she, she did great uh, while she was there, but you know, a lot of campaigns on campus, they, they, they live and die as mm-hmm. the people who are, who are there graduate. Mm-hmm. So, um, but wh- one of the things that came out of it was that the you know, Women's Resource Center and the Jewish Student Organization and the MSA and Students for Economic Justice and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, uh, came together, MSU Slam Poetry, uh, came together to start doing uh, uh, events on campus that were about bringing the whole campus together. Mm-hmm. And not just at the beginning of the year where everyone's signing up for clubs, but in the, be- in the middle of the year, addressing student issues, global issues, domestic issues. So um, what fell on my, on my lap at that time is, let's do a theatrical <laughs> something. And I'm like, I don't know. Like, um, and I had taken a couple of theater classes at Michigan State by that point. So I thought, let me try my hand at it. And, and it really, I think what you spoke to is you got to just try your hand at it. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, then there's this big swarm of people, like Shazi was talking about too. And then it usually just, it divides into who stays and, mm-hmm. and who helps. And so Tunnel had its core group um, at Michigan State, and what it was is we would collect stories from students who were talking about something that was an international oppression, like drone violence or displacement or something like that, um, domestic violence, like um, you know f- um, the over incarceration of Black men or um, you know um, class politics, anything, right? Um, pollution in, in Detroit, and then we do like. Um, uh, 
campus uh, abuses, right? Professors that are making passes at women, but they have power and they have tenure, so no one ever says anything. Uh, they're getting rid of the rid of the Re- Women's Resource Center. What's that about? Um, you know, tuitions getting higher, stuff like that. So we uh, took all these things and we had this range of stories that students submitted. Um, in the beginning, I had to write a bunch, <laughs> um, but we, we had uh, um, students submit and then students who felt like they were part of that story who would act in it. Um, and it went really well. And we had the counseling center at MSU would help process the stories afterwards with people. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of wet my taste to the whole thing. It had its, it had its ups and downs because at a big university, um, sometimes there are these entities that see something popular and they want to hijack it. They want to mm-hmm. hijack it Absolutely. from the storytellers. They want to hijack it from the students. And um, when I was about to leave, um, there was an organization. I won't name them because I'm not trying to start fights on your podcast. But um, there's an organization that – and I experienced this a lot even with – narratives that try to take tunnel and I didn't mind that they were taking my stuff what I minded was they're going to take all these stories and make it a, a, a show and then it'll just die um, and that happened to a couple of cultural events at Michigan State um, right before that. So I stepped in and I was like, no, like you're not doing this and uh, this um, this was 2014 and this um, one, this graduate advisor she had, uh, uh, she had no no she was an undergraduate student and uh, she was uh, on behalf of like MSU activities and stuff and she wanted to help out with Tunnel and um, like we had this round table and we're like you know we should talk about Malala but we shouldn't talk about Malala how Diane Sawyer talks about Malala <laughs> like we should talk about how we're droning the same place that we're praising Hmm. You know, we should talk about and we should have a South Asian person write that story. And then somebody else in the roundtable said we need to talk about, you know, um, the over incarceration of black men. And this uh, advisor who was like ready to um, take tunnel was like, yeah, but should we really talk about that? Should could we just play a movie instead? Or, you know, (laughs) who's going to write that? And there were like literally like there's a diverse room and um, and she didn't speak other than to criticize the stories. And so we're like, we need to leave. And uh, everyone's like, no, 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 work together. It's harmonious, you know. And I think that there's a level to that. But when you want to preserve storytelling, there's also there also need to be boundaries. Mm-hmm. People who threaten that story don't need to be there. Um, and I learned that lesson, right? I think a lot of times in religious spaces and spaces of harmony, we lead with love, and that's correct. But love needs to be preserved. If somebody's attacking your mother, if somebody's attacking your story, if somebody's attacking where you live, there needs to be a boundary, and mm-hmm. those people cannot be invited. Right. So and it's we, not unloving to defend that. No, absolutely. <laughs> it's, it's actually loving. It's, it's absolutely. naive not yeah. to. Um, and and because uh, then we're prioritizing respectability over oh, yeah. mm-hmm. over the mm-hmm. story. So. Um, Tunnel got preserved. I don't know where it's at now, but Tunnel got preserved that year. And then I, then I left. And um, there was about a, a year where I was like, man, I'm missing something from my life. So I sat down with Hamad Ali, who we were both um, helping out with the Muslim Mental Health Conference at the time. I was the creative director, but I was like, what am I doing as the creative director? Like, what have I done creatively? I'm kind of just running the board meetings. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. So I sat we're at coffee, and I'm like, you know, like, wouldn't it be cool to do a Saturday Night Live sort of show at this conference, because everyone's been, um, you know, doing, you know, uh, academic uh, stuff all day, and mm-hmm. they're listening to lectures, which are all great. <clears throat> but we need some comic relief, right? And maybe we can make it mental health oriented. So I'm like studying old SNL, like 70s SNL, right? Like the good stuff, bi- yeah, <laughs> the really good stuff. And I, and I took some cues. I'm like, okay, so they never go through somebody's resume when they announce somebody. They're always like, ladies and gentlemen, and they say the person's name. I'm like, that's intimate. The rest of the show could be crap, but like that intimate moment, and I think that's why SNL performances till this day 
people get a little something extra than when you watch a regular TV performance because there's an intimacy. There's a there's a background band. They stop. The host is right at the screen and says, ladies and gentlemen, and just that's it. Dawn the lights. That's it. And um, I thought that's it's so simple and it's so beautiful. What if we did something like that at um, the Muslim Mental Health Conference? Um, and actually – you might not remember, but actually maybe you do remember. But at the time I was like just brainstorming like crazy and talking to people. And Shazia talked about her mentor. And I actually didn't know Shazia that well, but I called Shazia up and I'm like, can you give me some ideas? And so she helped brainstorm with me about narratives before it ever went. Oh, and she was at the first show. And um, other people too, Ibrahim Varachia, um, who mm. he uh, – less with storytelling but more with creating things. How do you make a thing and make it happen, make it happen frequently? And um, we just um, – we did it. We tried it at the Muslim Mental Health Conference. I'm like, this is my creative director role and let's see what happens. And people were just ready to tell stories, man. Hmm. People were just – this is 2015. People were just ready to tell about bride shaming and um, you know shaming while they were pregnant and afterwards. And um, uh, you know my, my parents are in jail and, and people have shamed me for it or have stories and gossiped and we have intercommunity racism and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And people were ready to share. And so we learned from the storytellers, you know, how to do this. And, you know, we we have a team now. It's Hamad Ali, Miriam Caddy, Amna Ali, Zain Mahmoud. There's two Zains um, and me, the other Zain. And um, we just been doing it. And uh, it's 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 basically what narratives is. And that's how so that's the arrival. That's where we are now with narratives. And um, what it is, is we have around like an arena theater and in the middle. So you're kind of hugged by the audience and the, the storyteller is there to storytell for themselves. On Facebook, it's an open space, but it's not a safe space because the pretense is what do I, sh- what do I say for other people to see? It's narratives is what do I say for me to see? And um, so the, the easy connection is people in recovery. What do I need to say to myself to help me recover? Um, for somebody who's surviving with domestic violence or is you know a survivor, um, et cetera, et cetera. And we open it up to this. You don't have to be an artist. You just have to have pain. You just, it doesn't have to be deep pain. This isn't the uh, you know the Olympics of trauma. This is um, mm-hmm. you know this is um, uh, I had a bad day. You know it doesn't matter. And and so it's been going really well. And you know um, we've done it in multiple cities now. I think it's been two years running, and it became a nonprofit last year. Um, so, yeah, thank you, Shazia, for talking to me back then. <laughs> but I think that that's so important, right? We continue because it's somebody's story yeah. from before too. So yeah. and it's, it's interesting yeah. because, you know, when, when people think theater, when people think acting, uh, like you said when you were first doing your poetry, oh, man, I, like the, I love the rhyme scheme. Well, you know, okay, so it entertained you. Mm-hmm. But they were missing the story. Mm-hmm. And when I, was in, when I was in college, I did a lot of theater. I did uh, uh, Antigone. I did uh, – Bourbon at the Border, I did uh, uh, Importance of Being Earnest, which are all very entertaining shows. And but if you want to look for the meaning, you have to you have to mine deep, right? You have to go get the 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 cliff notes and the spark notes to to kind of understand uh, the background. I mean, I always like the stuff that the meaning was pretty much right on the front because that was more storytelling. Uh, and you brought up Malcolm X, mm-hmm. and I'm glad you did because when I was in college, my favorite play of all time uh, that I ever did or that I've ever seen uh, is a play called The Meeting. Mm-hmm. It's by a guy by the name of Jeffrey Stetson, and what Stetson did is he took the he took the words from the speeches of Martin Luther King and Malcolm X, and he put them in conversation with each other. So I played Malcolm X in this play, wow. and the other guy played Martin Luther King, and we were the only two people in the play, with the exception of a guy who played Malcolm's uh, 
yeah, Malcolm's bodyguard at the beginning and at the very end. So it was just the two of us in this hotel room, right? And, the, and it was really interesting to see, uh, I think for a lot of people, uh, to see these speeches in conversation because a lot of people want to praise, of course, Martin Luther King. Hey, you know, Martin Luther King. Uh, and the reason they praise Martin Luther King is honestly because Malcolm X was the alternative. Because right now you see what's going on with like Black Lives Matter movement and there's no alternative. So they're giving them all the all the crap that Malcolm would have gotten so, or that uh, Martin would have gotten had Malcolm not existed. And so it's kind of really interesting to see these speeches in conversation because they their speeches actually were in conversation at that time. And so that for me, something that uh, theatrically uh, teaches someone something that – makes you engage with someone's story or their thoughts or their ideas is, to me, the best form of theater. Now, some people, I'm not going to fault you if you want to go to theater and get entertained. That's fine. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll watch, I watch Flash and, you know, Supergirl to, you know, to kind of just blow off steam. But the things that teach me the most mm-hmm. through theater are the things that I value the most, which is kind of interesting, which is why I find uh, what you're doing fine. You know, very, very, very cool. Wow. <clears throat> That's amazing. Um, just both of your stories. And I also as someone that was involved um, in acting in high school and college and actually my husband as well. And that's why I think also when we talked to you, Shazia, that first time we were just like, wow, this is a really cool idea. And I mean, just blown away by both of these stories. Um, I actually played – I first – I moved um, in the middle of high school actually. Uh, I was in an international school and then I moved in the in 10th grade, which looking back on it and now when I see teenagers that have moved, I'm like, wow, that was actually kind of – that was really difficult and maybe a little bit traumatic. <laughs> but my first um, – but I got re- involved and one of the things that really helped me um, <clears throat> really kind of find a place was being involved with music and um, and acting, a little bit of acting in high school. And it's actually kind of funny because I played a part – it was a very small play, uh, Brighton Beach Memoirs by M- Neil Simon. And I played the part of a Jewish woman <laughs> as this Muslim hijab-wearing um, high school student, <laughs> which is kind of funny. I had to learn a New York accent and everything. It was – Pretty cool. Um, so both of you guys, you know, the, the other interesting thing. I just thing, want to hear your New York accent. I know. But. I actually had to, we had to do like voice lessons and stuff. I don't know if I can still do it, but it was, it was you cool. Try. You have to talk, you have to talk from the front of your mouth, kind of. Oh, I see, don't know. it's there. It's there. It's there. There it is. <laughs> so I might have to do the rest of the questions in this accent. Um, I guess both of you guys in mental health, um, how do you both explore artistic expression in your work as therapists with your clients? Shazia, you can go first. Um, well, I use it as a tool not just for like relaxation and meditation, which is what like art is a lot of times popularly known for, but um, I use it as a tool for like self discovery. Because um, the thing is, like, when you put something outside of yourself, like on a paper, physically, you can see it. You can actually mm-hmm. physically see it, and it's often easier to look at it then through like a different lens through like a different bird's eye perspective. You know how like a lot of times it's better, it's easier to give other people advice than it is to like, or see other people's problems than it is to see your own internal problems. Mm-hmm. I think what art does is like, it kind of makes it like not yours anymore. It, it makes it like outside of you. So what that does is like, it, it's a release in that like it, it's no longer just like in your mind and your heart, like bothering you. Like it's just outside and it's in a place that can then be like examined and looked at and understood further. And, um, And so, like, that's what I use art for, like, uh, as well, because there's two parts to it. Like, there's, like, the the therapeutic element that is, like, where, you know, just the the physical act of creating in and of itself is, like, therapeutic. But then, um, on the other hand, like, you know, it it just creates 
the the art itself, um, like the, like what you make, like it um, it helps you create that understanding. It helps you like um, facilitate understanding of like things that are happening like within you that you might not necessarily have the words to understand. Um, sorry, like the words mm-hmm. to express Mm -hmm. and uh and not just the art itself i think the creative process is very telling too so so sometimes like i'll have somebody who is making something and then they're they're they drew something that they felt is wrong and then they just crumble it up and then they try to throw it away and then what i do is i tell them no like let's actually you know open this up and like keep working on it because if you notice, like, uh, you know, I, I try to help them under- see things, see that this, what they just did is a reflection of, like, how they deal with life in general. So, okay, so, for example, um, a lot of uh, young people I worked with, like, in the, in the juvenile justice center, they would do that. And then I would try to help them relate it to themselves. Like, you know, do you maybe feel like you had to do this with your life? Like, where, you know, you, you felt like maybe you messed up once, so you just, you know, have to give up and just keep messing up because you feel like there's no... Like, I, I just messed up, so there's no point of even trying anymore. Mm. And so when they can relate it back to themselves and then challenge themselves to open up that paper, that crumbled paper, and keep working on it, no matter, like, take that line that you feel messed, that you messed up on and, and turn it into something else. See what you can do with it. And so that itself is like that, that creative process can also challenge them to make changes in their life as well. Wow. Zane? Um, I, I like the analogy of the opening um, that you said, Shazia. Um, in terms of in terms of like how I use creative outlets at my work, um, all of it's storytelling. I believe you know there are different forms. You have to meet the clients where they're at. Um, the first job is to make the safe, the room safe and and have a real relationship with the person that's coming in the room. Because if you don't have the relationship, you can't talk about anything that's going on in their life. So, Absolutely. Uh, we talk about sports and other things too because we're going to quickly um, comma and talk about what they're hurting from and you know uh, how it's manifesting in their behaviors or in their relationships and things. And so, um, so I think um, I do – when I was in uh, my master's training, we had to come up with um, a theory of change. That was our – um, our thesis, uh, basically. And I had sort of an orals thesis. And um, I had to present what my theory of change is. And I sort of latched on to this um, um, a way of doing therapy called experiential therapy. Um, so there's lots of people, Carl Whitaker and Susan Johnson and all these people. But um, it, would be, it would be wrong to only say those names because that's the Western uh, narrative about mm. experiential therapy. People have been expressing for their souls forever. Um, and that's why we have – when we share about our families, we tell stories, right? So um, we preceded them. But uh, that's an aside. But anyways, I, um, I really took to people don't deserve to hear or just conceptualize change. They deserve to see it so that, all right, so now we're talking about what you want in your life. How do we make a step towards that? How do we talk about that and, and not just conceptualize like what do you want but make it happen? <laughs> yeah, and make it happen. And um, – <coughs> So they um, – so a lot of times we would practice in the room. We do movements in the room. Um, so mm-hmm. I'll, I'll give you an example from therapy I went to because um, I, I don't want to talk necessarily about my clients because I'll just – maybe I'll just start talking about them because I like them so much. But um, I – when I was in therapy um, in, uh, in college, uh, we did something called empty chair, which is – there's a lot of ways to do it. Uh, but basically um, you confront – um, the thing, like Chazi was saying too, but you can yeah, you confront the thing that's in front of you, put it in front of you, mm-hmm. and it could be a person or it could be um, something you're struggling with, and you talk to it. 
and then you could put two chairs behind it. And uh, one chair could be your thoughts and the other chair could be your feelings. So that if you get too heady about your problem, you're like, no, 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 you're in this chair now. You're in this feelings chair now. And you need to tell me about what, what's going on. Not what you think about your dad or your mom. How does it feel? How does the relationship feel? Um, and then it gets to the heart of it. And so that's one way. But there are a lot of, I mean, some people don't want to be theatrical in therapy, you know. If you go if you go to a prison and you're doing therapy and you're like, hey, let's practice mindfulness, they're not going to be like, yeah, let's get on board. You have to talk to them. You know what I mean? Like for sure, you know. And um, and so yeah, that's no, like you know what I mean? Like it's it's like examine this pen. Tell me about your life. Like I I feel like people take the the bare like the, the the wrapping paper of of storytelling and they're like let's just just put it everywhere and if they don't if they don't do it right it's cuz they're resisting no you have to meet people where they yeah, are and ask absolutely. them about their story mm-hmm. and how do they tell the story so i listen to my clients and i figure out how they tell stories and then we do it in the room so sometimes that's like i'll give you an example um, that i do with a, a number of my clients is um, we do something called distortion, distortions and reframes so um, in narrative therapy, there's this concept that you have these negative ideas that are sort of ingrained in you. And at some point in your life, it was survival to think of yourself that way. I can't, I can't fight this thing, so I can only return to myself and blame myself. If I fight this thing and I put blame on it, I'm going to get hurt. So it happens a lot with abuse and other things. So um, people have ideas like I'm no good. Uh, nobody will treat me with any love. I'm going to be alone forever, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So we write down all these distortions. And I say, I want you to e- extract the truth out of that. Because it's being told in a very in a in a, in a way that hurts you, so you can extract the truth out of that. So it's not um, I'm I talk too much. It's I'm a vocal person. I have a lot to say. There are challenges mm-hmm. with that, right? But also rejecting sometimes if if it can't be reframed, rejecting where it came from or rejecting what it is. What, what what do you want to tell about yourself instead? So that's one of the things. Starting to that's see, interesting. it's yeah. kind of like the cognitive behavioral mm. therapy, the cognitive stuff, but even deeper than that. Yeah. A lot of the theories I think in the in the West are the same. Yeah. <laughs> to be honest, I yeah. don't mean to be trivial, but they have different language and different jargon. So mm. I think that the 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 most important thing is that people are allowed to tell their own story, and then they see they actually see themselves like a movie. Doing these things that are different, and then I'm like, and then if you ask them if changes occurred in their life, it's quite different than if they're like, maybe I don't know, I want it, and it's just therapy should be a place where you get relief by talking, but it also should be something that encourages you to to witness change in your life too. Okay, yeah. so wow. so how can our listeners find out more about narratives of pain and mist? Where where can they go? Do they go online? Do you have a phone number? I mean, where where can people find out more about both of these organizations? Um, well, for MIST, yes, we do have a, a website. It's uh, www.getmystified.com. Mm-hmm. If you're interested specifically just in Detroit, it's www.mistdetroit.com, okay. which is also linked through our national page, getmystified.com. Okay. But for high school students that want to get involved, they have to. do you have to have a team – you don't have to have a team. You can just compete as an individual. Oh, you can. Okay. Yeah. So, so it's it's you can be one person or you can be fifty people. It mm-hmm. really doesn't matter. And it's everybody's welcome. And it's not just for Muslim youth. Like mm-hmm. it's for anybody who wants to to explain their knowledge and you know get to know about Muslims and Islam. Cool. And then judges too. I think Calvin would be a really good judge. Oh yeah, absolutely. You get him. <laughs> we'll talk. I'm afterwards. a very judgmental person. <laughs> Wait, I'm using that word wrong, aren't I? <laughs> I got to be a judge at Mist like three years ago. I don't know if you know, but it was it was awesome. I got to do so the poetry cool. competition. Very cool. Very yeah. very cool. It's an amazing experience. Yeah, some people become storytellers at narratives after that. 
Um, and where can people find out about narratives? Uh, narratives, uh, it's going to be narrativesofpain.org. Um, it's actually launching in the next two weeks, so okay. don't click there now. Um, but there's, uh, <laughs> we have a Twitter, um, uh, narrative, you can look, just search for Narratives of Pain on Twitter and also we're on Facebook. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's where we're at right now. Very cool. Wow, very cool. Well, unfortunately, we've run out of time, but this was such an amazing conversation. And um, I just really want to thank you guys again. The end of Ramadan, we're kind of all exhausted and sleep deprived. Um, I really, really appreciate both of you being here. And I've just learned so much just being in this, com- just, you know, sitting in this room and um, having this conversation with you guys. Um, Zane, I know that I've said that I'm going to come to one of the comp- one of the events um, that you had, the Narratives of Pain, now for sure. I'm going to, me and my husband are coming. Maybe we'll bring the kids too, but. I'm sad that I haven't experienced it yet. Um, it just mm-hmm. it sounds amazing, and I'm just really just so you guys are both so inspiring, and you're doing amazing work, and just such an inspiration for um, our youth as well. So thank you so much for being here and sharing your story. Thanks for saying that. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Of course. Um, and for our listeners, we're going to wrap up, but um, please like our Facebook page, follow us on iTunes. Um, where are we? We're on uh, SoundCloud, yeah. so many things. Stitcher, Google Stitcher, Play, all iTunes, Stitchers. all that stuff, yeah. So um, like, follow, listen, subscribe, and share. Share with your friends. Share with your, you know, just we're really looking to get out there and kind of diversify our um, audience as well. Thank you so much for being here, and stay tuned for more episodes where we talk to more unsung heroes. Thanks. Thank you guys so much. Yeah, thank I was you. like, we didn't get to the last few questions, but I think at the same time, I think it's, um, I think we're running out of time, but I think it was perfect. Woke up in London yesterday, found myself in the city near Piccadilly, don't really know how I got here. I got some pictures on my phone, new names and numbers that I don't know, address to places like I. Tonight, not tonight.